Welcome to the hills. Uh, I know that you're watching literally from around the world. It's humbling to realize our impact can go across the globe. Some of you are in person at West Fort Worth, Keller, and North Richmond Hills. I'm thankful that you're here. We're in harvest season at our church. In two weeks, we're going to raise over $2.7 million to help make Jesus famous across the world. And we're looking forward to that and getting ready for that by looking back, by looking at some of the great faith heroes in our tradition. We're calling it a faith worth remembering. And today we're going to look at some of the greatest faith stories in our Bible. So you can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be there in just a moment. First, a story about a young boy who comes home from Sunday school and his dad says, what did you learn in class today? Well, I learned a story about how the children of Israel escaped Egypt and passed through the Red Sea. Oh, really? The father said, tell me about that story. He said, dad, it was amazing. So they get trapped out of the Red Sea. They're being chased by the Egyptian army. So they start furiously putting sand in bags and throwing the bags into the water. And then they created these two enormous seawalls of sandbags. And then they got a hydraulic pump and they pumped all the water out between those two rows of bags. And they lined those walls of sandbags with explosives. So when they walked through and got to the other side and the Egyptians chased them, Moses had a button on top of his staff and he punched it. And the explosive went up and the sandbags blew up and the water came in and the Egyptians were drowned. And the dad said, son, is that how your teacher taught you that story? He said, no, dad, but if I told you what she told me, you'd never believe it. (laughs) So some people find it impossible to believe in the impossible. And they tend to scornfully reject what people of faith refer to as miracles. Ironically, there are people of faith who have very little room in their worldview for the possibility of miracles as well. In fact, I was raised in a tradition where we read stories about miracles, but didn't believe we would ever see them in our lifetime. I'm believing, though, there's a reason why we tell and retell the stories of people who embraced the impossible. Because there's something about their faith that we want. So... We're going to read some of the most amazing miracle stories in the Bible. Just four verses from Hebrews 11, but you'll see what it means starting in verse 28. By faith, he, Moses, kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And if you know much about the Bible, you know those are some of the most famous stories in our Bible, and they involve miracles. So we need to ask the question, what is a miracle? Some of us are old enough to remember the 1980 Winter Olympics when the United States hockey team upset the heavily favored Russian team. And Al Michaels uttered those famous words, do you believe in miracles? And what he meant was, no one saw this coming or predicted it. And that's how we often use the word miracle in our culture. I can't believe I passed that test. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that drunk driver didn't kill anybody. And we mean something that's not expected, something that's a surprise, something that's kind of a fluke. The Bible never uses the miracle word miracle that way. 
Here's a definition of a miracle in the Bible. It is a humanly impossible event that occurs in the natural realm apart from natural causes to the glory of God. It is something a human could not possibly cause to happen that does happen in the natural realm. But it can't be explained by natural causes, which brings glory to God. Now, right off the bat, some of you are going to be tempted to tune me out. You say, I don't go for that kind of a worldview. I'm a person of science. Okay, what I want to challenge is that you bought a narrative that I think has made a false dichotomy between religion and science. In fact, uh, I don't have time to go completely into it, but we did a series called But What About Several Years Ago, and Taylor Wallin has a wonderful message about how science and faith can coexist, you should check out. But for now, let me just challenge that narrative with this. I think it's a mistaken assumption to say that science is only about evidence and religion is all about faith. Listen to me. Everyone has a faith system. Everyone makes assumptions about reality that cannot be proven by the scientific method. We talked about this some in the first lesson of this series. The very matter of how all matter got here in the first place is a matter of faith. Now, I believe the evidence that science recognizes points to an intelligently designed universe. And this is why there are millions of scientists who believe in God. If then God exists, if there is a wise creator, then the notion of impossibility does not exist. You follow me? That science describes how the universe operates. It does not dictate how it must operate. That natural law, which I believe in, does not restrict the creator's right or capacity to intervene into the creation he made when and how he chooses. And so God then can do anything consistent with who he is and what he wants done. And he can do it easily. When God enters into the natural, he doesn't have to sweat. It doesn't wear him out. He doesn't burn calories. He doesn't need to take a nap. And this is what faith worth remembering believes, that God can add some super to the natural. It doesn't just accept what God did. It affirms what God can do. And this was, again, a struggle as a young man in my religious tradition. I realize now we typically worshiped I was. We didn't worship I am. I'm here to tell you I am still is. Okay. We don't get JV God. Back then they got the varsity God, our God just on the JV. No, we get God. We get all of God. And just like the people we read about in the book of Hebrews, 
We should not think with God some things are possible. God still welcomes opportunities to display his glory to his creation. So let me just show you in the short four verses we read, four miracles. Four times where God puts some super to the natural that is available to us today. The first is this, supernatural salvation is always possible. Never forget, every single salvation is a miracle. Every one. In fact, did you know Christianity is the only religion that teaches the impossibility of self-salvation? All other religions operate in the natural. Do some more of this, stop doing so much of that, and you can make yourself acceptable to God. And the Christian faith says, no, you cannot do anything in the natural to make yourself acceptable to God. The children of Israel didn't get to leave Egypt because of Pharaoh's kindness or because of Moses' diplomacy. It was a miracle. You can read about it. The second book of the Bible is called Exodus. And in the first few chapters, you have this contest between the God of Israel and the gods of Egypt. And there's a series of plagues. And each plague is God taking on a deity the Egyptians worship. By the way, one reason God does miracles is to expose a fraud God. And you get to the very last plague, the tenth one. And God says to Moses, I want the people to go out and find a spotless lamb and kill it and put the blood on the doorpost. The death angel is going to pass over the nation. And over every home where I see the blood, there will be no judgment. But on any home where there is no blood, the firstborn son will die. So it says, by faith, Moses kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So hear me. The issue that night was not race. God didn't say, I'll pass over the Hebrew homes. I'll judge the Egyptian homes. The issue wasn't status. I will pass over the important people. I'll judge the unimportant people. The issue wasn't morality. I'll pass over the good people. I'll judge the bad people. The issue was the application of blood. The blood of a spotless lamb. By the way, it still is. This is why John the baptizer saw Jesus uh, walking in the crowd and pointed to him and said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, by that, that doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. It means everyone can be. Even people who weren't Israelites were saved that night because they put blood of a spotless lamb on their doorpost. They trusted God for a miracle. So I've used this illustration before. I like it. When I was in high school, I only made one B, and it cost me a scholarship. And I'm still bitter because it was a stupid class. Typing. And my problem wasn't that I was a slow typer. The problem was I wasn't fast at correcting my mistakes because no one under 40 is going to understand this. But back then we used a machine called a typewriter. You would press a key down, a metal arm would come up, it would hit against an ink ribbon and make an indention on a page of a letter, or, or maybe it was hieroglyphics, it was so long ago. And the problem is, that if I hit the wrong key, it took me too long to fix it. Because you remember what we had to do back then? You had to roll the paper up. You had to give it a little bottle of something called whiteout and dab it over your mistake and blow on it. <laughs> get it to dry, then hit the right key, then try to roll it back down and get it to line up. And it, I was slow with that. And here's the thing. 
When you rolled that paper out and you were through and you held it up to the light, you could see little white glassy scabs all over that paper showing that you were trying to cover up where you messed up. Now, you young people today can't relate. All you got is this awesome thing called a delete key. You just hit delete and it's gone. There is no evidence that you ever messed up. Let me tell you, the miracle working salvation of God is delete key. It is not white out. The powerful blood of Jesus, when it is applied, so erases your sin, there is no evidence you ever messed up in the first place. One chapter before in Hebrews, it says, therefore God says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so do brothers and sisters. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We can boldly do this miraculous thing where we just walk right into the holy presence of God with no fear because we have come under the power of a miracle working blood. When you tell your salvation story, there are no co-stars. You and I are saved by the supernatural cleansing of the blood of Jesus. And that cleansing doesn't just free us from sin's penalty, but from sin's pull. Because supernatural deliverance is always possible. So that night after the Passover angel leaves the land, the Israel people leave Egypt. They follow God's guidance into a trap. God led them into a trap. I mean, the sea's in front of them. Two mountain ranges are on either side, and behind them is desert and an Egyptian army coming after them. By the way, I think sometimes God places his people in predicaments where the only solution is a miracle. God sent a mighty wind, and it blew these two walls of water into a passageway that dried the seabed. And God told the people, Trust me and walk through that. It says, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By the way, I don't think this is the only way God could have delivered the Hebrews, but it was a way that brought him the most glory. So much glory, they're talking about it 40 years later, as we'll see in a moment. It was a miracle deliverance. But here, here's the point. It had to be entered by faith. Deliverance still does. See, I don't believe the people of God have to live in captivity to the natural. It is what it is. It's not how it has to stay for those who believe God can put some super to the natural. But faith worth remembering must enter into the deliverance God offers. In other words, we don't just believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but we enter into the kind of resurrected living that he is offering us. Ephesians chapter one. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Jesus is now seated above every single power and dominion. 
and the power that raised him from the dead and placed him in, in such a high place is available to us who have the faith to enter into resurrected living. Now, I'm not saying that if you're a Christian, you should never have pain or struggle. I am saying if you are in bondage to the sin and Satan, you don't have to stay there. I'm saying it is possible for us by faith to enter into the freedom that Jesus is offering. Come some Thursday night to celebrate recovery. And listen to testimony after testimony of people who said, I could not in the natural escape what was keeping me from the life God wants me to have. But in the power of Jesus, I have found that life. A pastor I know tells a great story not long ago. He's in his office. He's in a meeting. A young woman from his church came by. And since she couldn't see him at that moment, she just left an envelope. He came out later, opened it up. And inside was a baggie full of razor blades and a note. And the note said, I've been coming to your church since I was a little girl. At the age of 12, some trauma in our family and other things. I started cutting to deal with my pain. My arms are covered with scars from years of cutting. I'm 23 now. I haven't cut in about a year, but recently I was in a situation of high stress and I had this huge temptation to cut again. I had hidden razor blades all over my bedroom in case that need arose. And I was about to cut. And I heard the voice of Jesus and he said, I bled enough. And I knew Jesus was saying, give me your pain. And as an act of faith, I've gathered up all my razor blades and I'm bringing them to you because I am going to step into the life Jesus wants me to have. No assault from the enemy is impossible to escape. In fact, it's possible by faith to assault the enemy. And so the next generation of Hebrews are ready to enter the promised land. They're on one side of the Jordan River. On the other side is this big giant garrison called Jericho, surrounded by impenetrable walls from a natural perspective. But it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. You see, supernatural victory is always possible. If Satan cannot stop your new life in Christ, he is going to try to stunt your new life in Christ. He's going to try to keep you on the wrong side of the river. He's going to say, okay, you can get out of Egypt, but you cannot enter into the promised land. You cannot fully embrace the life God has for you. He's going to try to make you think that there is some territory that he occupies that is off limits. And he's going to put up these walls to try to make you think that his sovereignty is legitimate. He is bluffing. We do not have to live like it is B.C., before Christ. There is no wall that can stand against the will of God. It is always possible to claim what rightfully belongs to God. If we don't, it's not because he's not faithful. It's probably because we've been too fearful. What faith does is march in the direction of the will of God for whom nothing is too Hard, because supernatural victory is always possible when we're talking about territory God rightfully owns. I've always been inspired by the life of Richard Wormbrun. He was a pastor in Romania when it was under a communist regime. He writes 
about his life in a book called Tortured for Christ, which is not a metaphor, it's his life. For 14 years in prison, he was tortured. In fact, when he was released and sent to exile and he would speak to groups, he would have to sit down because his legs had taken so much beating, standing was too hard. When the communist regime fell in the 1990s, he came back to Romania. He got to visit the very first Christian bookstore in that now free country. They took him downstairs to see their warehouse. They flipped on the lights and this old man and his wife with their beaten legs began to dance because that room where they were storing Christian books was the very room that he once stayed in prison. The room where he was tortured for Christ has become now a place where the gospel of Christ is being propelled. Because supernatural victory is always possible. Some years ago, we sent missionaries to the nation of Rwanda. You might remember in 1994, there was a genocide in Rwanda. A tribal war that resulted in the death of a million Tutsi people in about a month. How do you recover from something like that? A woman named Agnes was a part of that genocide. She spent 28 years years in prison. One of the things our missionaries did was they helped begin something called the Africa Transformation Network, a beautiful Christ-centered ministry that helps people to gain different skills they need in Jesus' name, including farming. After 28 years in prison, Agnes needed to learn how to farm. She's 72 years old. Where do you go when you've been guilty of what you've been guilty of? Who will ever accept Agnes? This guy did. His name is Venust. He leads part of the ministry of Africa Transformation Network that teaches farming. Venust lost his entire family in the genocide. But he welcomed Agnes, showed her the love of Christ, and now she knows that God can love her, and she's following Jesus too. Because supernatural victory is always possible. We're going to raise over $2.7 million in a couple of months. We have a vision. We have a vision to see Bibles and languages of people that can't read the Bible. We have a vision to start disciple-making movements in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. We have a vision to see 1,825 people baptized in five years, start 15 new churches in this country, to see 25 families rise up and foster. That sounds impossible. The wrong question The question is not, is it possible? The question is, is this something that's inside the will of God? Because if it is inside the will of God, no wall can stop it from happening. We should never see a wall stronger than the will of God. The scripture tells us, be alert, continue strong in the faith, have courage, be strong. We don't see walls, but we do see people that have had to live behind walls Way too long. That's the last verse. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now you might say, Pastor, where's the miracle in that verse? Well, let me ask you, where did her faith come from? She's a prostitute. She's lived all her life in Canaanite land. She's in a garrison servicing soldiers. All she's got to go on are stories about a God she's never worshipped by a people she's never met. 
But I believe just like he did for Lydia in Acts 16, the Lord opened her heart to respond to God's message. Because salvation is not just the miracle work of God for us. It is the miracle work of God in us. Because supernatural faith is always possible. Rahab heard stories. Some of them 40 years old about crossing through a Red Sea. And Rahab was convinced of what Yahweh could do after she heard reports of what he did do. She crossed over to the God of Israel before Israel had even crossed the Jordan River. And Joshua didn't know that, but God did. And God sent spies into Jericho, not just to gather intelligence, but to gather Rahab. Because God doesn't let anybody's past keep them from his intended future. Let me show you a picture. I hope in some ways you don't recognize her. Her name is Doreen Virtue. Just a few years ago, she was the queen of the New Age movement. I mean, she had books in 38 languages. She uh, was a rock star. 50-acre ranch in Hawaii. Flew first class, sold out uh, workshops all over the world, teaching spiritism, mediumship, positivity, create your own uh, reality. And, and here's the thing. She knew it didn't work because it wasn't working for her and even the other people she knew that promoted the movement. She saw the immorality, the infidelity, the divorces, the addictions. She had no peace in her life. She made a lot of money. She's driving into the car. She turns on the radio and a Scottish accent comes on. A preacher named Alistair Begg teaching out of 2 Timothy in latter days, false prophets will sell false hope. And she says, that's what I do. She got a Bible. She started reading. She read about what God thinks about divination and spiritism. And she didn't know. She said, God, I'm sorry. I didn't know. She gave her life to Jesus. She lost her publisher. In a world where she was once a rock star, she's now mocked. But she says, I finally found peace. We have missionaries. I can't tell you where. Can't tell you their names. It's a country hostile to faith. And there were two people, a man and woman, who lived in a neighborhood where there was absolutely no gospel witness. There was a meeting at a coffee shop, and this man said, could I have the book? He was given a Bible, and he said, I've waited so long for this book. He took it home. He and his wife read through the entire Bible several times in just three weeks. And they went to the ocean, he and his wife and his oldest daughter, and they were baptized into Jesus. What, how do you explain this? How does a man who's lived all his life with no gospel witness desperately desire to read the Bible? God looks for the Rahabs. And he gives them the faith to look to Jesus. Nobody thought Paul could ever become a believer. Here's what he says. It's a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. And then others would realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Listen. There's a reason we're going to have our harvest offering in two weeks. Because the mission of Jesus is not for us to survive the world. The mission is to partner with Jesus to save the world. And it is mission possible. So we ask for the nations and the generations. Every Wednesday from 12 to 1 on our Facebook page, we pray. 
Right now we're in 40 days of prayer. We're going to meet on November 12th at 5 o'clock. And we're going to pray. And we're going to ask the God for whom nothing is too hard to reach nations and generations. Because faith worth remembering knows it's impossible to ask too big. If anything is possible, then it's impossible to ask too big. Our audacity to ask can never exceed his capacity to answer. There's no too hard for God list in heaven. Paul said with God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. I have a friend with three precious little girls. He reads them stories at night. The oldest is getting about to that age where she's starting to question. He's reading a story one night. The oldest says, that's not possible. And the youngest barked right back, you're not the boss of possible. (laughs) We can ask God to move mountains because he made the mountains in the first place. And listen, I want you to have great faith in God. You know what I want even more? For you to have faith in a great God. I want you to Pray prayers whose answers are worth remembering. Let's do that right now. Everyone bow your head. I'm not going to tell you what to pray for, but I want you to pray a prayer right now. That if God answered that prayer, we'd be talking about it two and three generations from now. Pray for the impossible. So God, we affirm, we declare you are high and lifted up above and over every kingdom and dominion. Nothing is beyond your reach. Nothing is too hard for you. We ask for nations and generations. We ask for you to use us to do amazing things. To introduce people to Jesus, to free people from bondage, to reclaim what belongs to you. To see people come to faith that we could never have thought Until we realized nothing is too hard for you. So God, help us to dream big. Help us to pray big. Give us a faith worth remembering. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.